You're listening to Comedy Central. The planet is the most important thing for you. Yeah, I mean, for all of us, I think it should be. Why? Why do you think... Why do you think young people are so focused on climate change now? There's a definite um, disconnect between older generations and younger generations when talking about the climate. Why do you think that is? I mean, I think it is because we, in a way, feel like it is more a direct threat. Others feel like, I'm, I won't be alive then anyway, so screw it. But we, <laughs> but we, we actually know that these consequences will face us during our lifetime. Mm -hmm. And it is already happening now, and it will get worse. And uh, so I think that is why so many young people especially care about this. And, uh, and of course, the awareness is not as it needs to be. It's not as much as it needs to be. People are still very unaware, it's my experience. And um, so we need to continue, but you can see that young, among young people, the concern is bigger. What do you think people need to learn about climate change? Many people have heard of the climate warming up. Some people have a small understanding of what it means. But what do you think is lacking in the understanding of this issue? I think pretty much everything. Because, I mean, we know that something is wrong, that the planet is warming because of increased greenhouse gas emissions. And uh, that might lead to that the ice caps will melt and the global temperature will rise, and uh, there will be more extreme weather events, and so on. But they, they don't understand how severe this crisis actually is. And it is because they have not been informed. Um, I mean, we are right now in the beginning of the sixth max, mass extinction, and uh, people don't know these things. Up to 200 species go extinct every single day. And uh, people don't even know that we have for a 67% chance of limiting the global temperature rise to 1.5 degrees. We had on January 1st, 2018, 420 gigatons of carbon dioxide left to emit to stay within that target. And now we're already down to less than 360. If we continue at the same emission level as now, we have less than eight and a half years until that budget is gone, according to the IPCC the, from the SR15 report. And that is for a 67% chance. Wow. And... Um, wow, 67% chance, and we're not even hitting those targets. What do you think people could do, and what do you think governments should be doing? I think people should do, should do everything, but I think right now, if I were to choose one thing everyone would do, it would be to, to inform yourself and to try to understand the situation and try to, to push for a political movement that doesn't exist because the politics needed to, to fix this mm -hmm. doesn't exist today. Um, so I think what we should do as individuals is to use the power of democracy that to make our voices heard and to make sure that that the 
people in power actually cannot continue to ignore this. That's powerful. Wow. Do you, do you feel a difference in the conversation traveling from Sweden to um, America? Is, is there a different feeling around climate change? Uh, I would say yes. Um, because here it's, it feels like it is being discussed as something you, whether you believe in or not believe in. <laughs> and uh, where I come from, where I come from, it's more like, it's a fact. Many people get angry when something bad happens in, in their world, not just in America, anywhere. Uh, many people are outraged, many people say something, some people do something, but you continue to work at it to make change. What do you think keeps driving you? I definitely know that um, in the very beginning of all this, we met with a bunch of kids from Chicago, who uh, the Peace Warriors mainly, who we are still friends with today, and they told us about the six principles of nonviolence of Martin Luther King's. And principle number five is, um, no, principle number four is, accept suffering without retaliation for the sake of the cause to achieve the goal. Which means basically, doesn't matter what you face as an individual, the goal is much more important than anybody. Which is kind of the main principle that you know we went to see the sit-in counters in North Carolina, and right. that was the methods that were used then. Doesn't matter if somebody hits me, doesn't matter if somebody pours something over my head, try to get me off of this seat, I need to sit here because this is for everybody. And you, you, you have been attacked in multiple ways online. I mean, everyone has accused you of everything from being political puppets all the way through to crisis actors. People have said that your, your emotion is fake. You, you've, you've fought through that, and now you have a movement that has taken you on the road. What is this organization all about? It's all about saving lives, Trevor. It's, uh, it's all about creating coalitions throughout different communities around this country so that we can come together and create a united front for change. Uh, this is way more than just Parkland. This is about the communities around this country that suffer from day-to-day -day gun violence and gun violence in many different forms. Uh, so every single day on this tour, we've traveled 70-something uh, stops now. And every single place we go, we hear a new story of someone lost in a different form of gun violence. And so it's about fighting for all of them right. before it's too late. And the main thing you're trying to do is get young people to register to vote. Mm -hmm. And actually show up for them. And vote. actually show up. Like, th that's an important part. Why, why is that the key to what you're doing? Because, I mean, people say, like, register to vote. But you're going, like, no, we want you to show up. Why is there a difference? Because people say, my vote doesn't count. So if somebody's in your face saying, register to vote, you can say, ah, oh, sure. But nobody's going to go up to you the day of the polls and say, get out there and vote. You know, like there's, we're going to try to do offers of ride sharing and stuff like that. Right. Or, you know, we encourage people to say, like, you know, try to carpool everybody that you know and try to get everybody at the polls at the same time to right. offer the transportation to those who don't have it. But if, you know, if, if a million people say my vote doesn't count, that's a million votes that could have either swung a district or made an impact. You know, in the Ohio special election, it was under 2,000 votes that, like, was the difference between the two people. Right. Like, your vote really, really does count. What if it had been one vote? Right. That person's one vote would have made the difference. Right. We, we saw a story where in one election it was, had to be decided by basically a coin flip. And mm -hmm. it, it's starting to show you that elections are getting closer and closer. People's votes are counting more than they ever thought before. Young people in particular haven't been uh, good at turning up when it comes to the midterms. In this election, it feels different. We're seeing research that says more and more people are registering, more and more people who are young are inclined to vote. 
Do you feel like gun violence and mass shootings are a big driving factor in this? Well, young people are more educated now than they've ever been before. And young people turn out at a rate about one in five. If young people turn out in a rate of two out of five, they can swing any election that they turn out in. And so that's what it's really about, is about showing that young people, if you can just convince one person in your proximity that, to vote that wasn't planning on voting, you can swing this election. Right. And actually obtain morally just leaders. Because right now, Congress does not reflect the wants and needs of the American people. When, when it comes to gun issues, one thing I've noticed repeatedly is how uh, you will be asked questions that many people in Congress don't get asked or aren't even, aren't even expected to know the answers to. Uh, you have had to, I think, immerse yourself in policy more than many politicians have in a strange way. But what are you hoping will be achieved by people voting? What are you hoping some of the changes will be when it comes to gun reform in America? Well, when something like universal background checks is supported by over 95% of the American public and the Speaker of the House refuses to introduce a bill to be voted on, uh, that is what we want to see change. We want right. these policies that are uh, being supported with a supermajority in this country, like universal background checks, digitizing the ATF, disarming domestic abusers, uh, violence prevention programs, and our, the rest of our policies are on our website, right. marchforourlives.com, how we save lives. But, uh, it's mostly just about getting these policies that have nothing to do uh, with the Second Amendment and just have uh, a basis in saving lives right. that are supported by uh, the general public. These all poll above 65% with the general public, yet Congress decides to do absolutely nothing. And, and you've, been, you've been hosting town halls. You've been meeting with people. You've, you've hosted more town halls than I think some people in Congress may have actually hosted. 150 congressmen have not had a town hall in the last two years. Wow. So, you're out there. You're meeting with people who don't always agree with you. What do you find are the things they agree with you on? And is there something that you find in some way shifts a person's perspective? Or is there some way that they've shift your shifted your perspective when you engage with people you don't agree with? Usually when people come up to us and say, I don't like what you stand for. They think that we are trying to take guns out of America or that we are against the Second Amendment. That's not true. We are a pro-Second Amendment organization. We want safety around guns. Right. People who are law-abiding citizens and are worried about getting their guns taken away, if you're a law-abiding citizen, you have nothing to worry about. We're talking about the people who are not law-abiding citizens. Right. If you're that conscious about it, you should understand, you, you obviously do understand that guns are something that need to be held with respect and responsibility. With great power comes with great responsibility. I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> but, like, but like that's true, and everybody needs to hold that in their hearts and in their minds, and there are a lot of people who don't, and we're just trying to catch everybody up to that right. process. And, 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 and when, when people say to you, oh, you kids are out there, you, you're trying to take the guns away, uh, some people will say to you, like, oh, do, like, you, you're trying to change what America stands for. What do you find changes them when you speak to them as a person? Like, is, is there a moment where they go, like, oh, I, I see what you're saying? Or do you find sometimes you just have to say, we agree to disagree? Uh, we just bring them into the reality of what's going on in this country. A lot of them choose to ignore what's actually going on in communities even really near theirs. Uh, we'll be in Wisconsin, and they won't understand the day-to-day -day gun violence that happens in Milwaukee when they're in Janesville. And that is heartbreaking to us because we need to really love our neighbors. We need to come together community by community and actually stand for each and every life that we're losing every right. day. And so when... Uh, I didn't understand. <laughs> uh, so a lot of these people don't actually understand what's happening day to day. A toddler picks up a gun and shoots themselves or someone once a week for the last three years in this country. 
And with something like safe storage laws or mandatory trigger locks or even like a bike lock on a gun trigger could save countless lives in this country. And that is just common sense. Right. It makes perfect sense for someone to say, oh yeah, I should report if my gun is stolen. But in Texas, where more guns are stolen than anywhere else in the country, that's not a law. You don't have to do that. But if you steal alcohol from a parent, it could be a felony. It's child endangerment. But we call it an accidental shooting. There are no accidental shootings. It's negligence. If you've been following the news during this global pandemic, then you'd know that the reported statistics have been as inconsistent as the Wi-Fi at your mama's house. The same Wi-Fi you told her ass to speed up a long time ago, but you get quarantining with your mama during a pandemic. If we didn't do it, you would have had a million people, a million and a half people, maybe two million people dead. But we're going towards 50 or 60,000 people. 100 to 200,000 deaths. And it looks more like the 60,000 than the 100 to 200,000. We have between 100 and 200,000. It's like an auction. But there's one credible source whose numbers are trusted globally. One website tracking the coronavirus has become one of the most vital resources for people seeking accurate and updated numbers on the pandemic. NCOV2019.live. And I scored a sit down with its creator. Wait, who the f are you? I'm looking for Avi Schiffman. Uh, I'm afraid that's me. How old are you? 17. Are you 17 for real? This is some of that Benjamin Button shit. No, nah, I'm 17. Huh. Well, if you're the real creator of this website, Avi, if that's your real name, it is. Then explain how you built it. Sure. The coronavirus website in particular, it works using server-side JavaScript, which means, you know, it's kind of like what PHP was, but coded in HTML and CSS that they have um, there and added to a much larger data set. And, uh, you know, that's just, there's these things called a cron job. So I have that's just basically how it works. Okay, okay. You know computer shit. Let's move on. Most teenagers spend time making highbrow videos. But this dude chose to make a website tracking a murderous disease. Why? I wanted to make it like just easy to find the information and thought it would just be helpful to some people. And, you know, I started this, you know, very late December. But you knew in December? Yeah, around the, around the 29th. Avi spotted a crisis before our own government. Despite his superpowers, why would a teenager invest so much time on a website that doesn't have nudity? What are you trying to get out of this, Avi? An MSNBC show? Because they could swap you with Chris Hayes and no one would notice. If they want to give me one, sure. <laughs> or are you trying to get into a good college? Because you didn't have to do all this to get in a good college. All you had to do was lie and say that you was rowing. I mean, I already have job offers to do full stack web development. I don't necessarily need to, to go to college for that. And the job offers keep coming because Avi's site currently has over 600 million visitors from every country on the planet. Even Antarctica. Wait, that's a country, right? With that kind of traffic, I know you set. If you need somebody to help you sell ads, hire me, man. I'm a good salesman. Well, you know, I turned down $8 million to put advertisements on the website, but, you know. Uh, <laughs> but there's a, there's a... Wait, wait, wait. What did you say? Wait, I thought you just said you turned down $8 million. You didn't have to be a dumbass to do that. Yeah. I, I declined it because I didn't want pop-up ads. I didn't want to be forced to my, like, keep my website uh, running. $8 million. You said $8 million. You just said, no. Hey, hey, man, excuse me a second. I what am I doing wrong with my life? He got eight million on the table. I got nothing. Mother seventeen, he's making all the money. Meanwhile, I'm at home.
home in a desk. I'm back, man. Sorry about that. I just think you crazy for turning down free money. No disrespect. Two things I got to remember. Avi created a site that offers clarity on the effects Corona is having on the planet. And secondly, I'm a grown ass man talking to an underage teen online. I got to wrap this up. So which countries are handling it better than the U.S.? South Korea is definitely handling this way better than the entire world. I mean, they tested so much of their population so fast. I mean, they didn't have to shut down their country. Meanwhile, you know, I haven't had school in months, so. So what do you think we're going to be looking like in September with this quarantine? Because I've got to get out of this house, man. Yeah, well, you know, I guess we'll have to wait and see if, but, you know, until there's a vaccine and things, things will, you know, probably still be pretty weird for a while, so. Till then, I'll just have to focus on the future. All right, so you've been great with COVID-19 predictions. How are you with sports? I got money on the Lakers to win it all. Uh, I'm sorry, I have to go now. I have a meeting with the United Nations. Supposed to be a youth ambassador. Wait, 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 wait. Just tell me real quick. Lakers, yes or no? Have a good day. Abby. So no on the Lakers. Climate change is getting worse. And if we don't meet the 1.5 degree goal set by the Paris Accord, it could cost $6 trillion in the U.S. alone. And Miami will be underwater, and not in a fun way. If we go past that, the world's GDP drops by 20%, and the Pirates of the Caribbean ride will have direct access to the Caribbean. But what do you do if your lazy, deadbeat, ain't shit government refuses to see the logic in these numbers? You take their asses to court, even on the local level. And I talked to one hardened veteran of the U.S. judicial system who is doing just that. I'm actually suing the state of Florida. All we want for them is to cut our carbon emissions. How old are you? (laughs) I am 21 years old. Is it the Doogie Howser situation? I know you don't get that reference because you're 21. (laughs) No, not quite. Okay, how much are you suing them for? Absolutely nothing. You're suing them for nothing? What, do you play lotto for the thrill of the game? Do you go to Vegas just for the weather? So it's Kind of like we're suing on behalf of the environment. Could I recommend one thing? Sue to get enough money to buy a submarine. We want them to spend the money on the environment. So we know that it's going to cost us as a society trillions of dollars. But if we continue to wait, it's only going to be more expensive in the future to pay for those solutions that we need. For example, the property value of the land that's at risk from five feet of sea level rise is about $27 billion. And for those following along, that's a quarter Jeff Bezos. Don't get your hopes up, you know, because there's a chance that Florida isn't going to change. Florida's still going to be on your couch, eating on your food while you're at work, asking to borrow your car. Why do you need a car, Florida? You don't have a job. Yeah, so to be candid, if there's no change, if we don't do anything to solve our climate change crisis, Florida faces extinction. On the one hand, if Florida is extinct, then we wouldn't have to deal with Florida anymore. But then again, Florida's part of Earth. And even though it's been hard on us this year, We should still do something to save it instead of nothing. I think one of the reasons people are so drawn to you and your story is is not just because of the journey you've been on, but because of the the, the focus you bring to other people's journeys. And this book, We Are Displaced, is another example of that. My journey and stories from refugee girls around the world. 
Why did you feel the need to include other stories other than your own? I mean, your story is already so amazing. Why bring in others? Yeah, people already know about my story and uh, displacement was part of my life uh, in Pakistan and then also moving to the UK. Uh, but I have met girls around the world who have been displaced, who have lost their homes and uh, often people talk about refugees and immigrants in numbers and in figures and we hear about refugees but we, near, uh, we never hear from refugees. Right. And for me it was so important that we hear from these girls, hear their stories and get inspired and uh, you know they show resilience and bravery and courage and, uh, and I think they have overcome all these difficulties so there's a lot for us to learn from them. It's interesting because when you, when you see images from uh, you know peop uh, refugee settlements or places where people have been displaced by war, it's often the images that connect with people. As you say, the numbers don't seem to shake anyone. Mm -hmm. But for instance, from Syria, we saw the image of that little boy. You know, um, do you think that we could do a better job of putting a face to these people and to these groups? Do you think there's something we could do to improve how we see other human beings who are struggling? I think definitely there are a number of ways in which we can actually know more about the issue. Uh, I think firstly is you know, finding out and meeting the refugees and immigrants in our own community. And uh, one of the stories I have shared is of this amazing young woman who is reaching out to uh, immigrants in her community, helping them, you know, going to the grocery shop or uh, getting their education or applying to university. So it's actually going out there and doing it yourself, but also, um, you know, listening to the, the girls' stories that are out there. Reading this book is one, right. is one opportunity uh, to hear from these girls. and. Uh, uh, and I think this is a way for us to, to hear from them. Um, and, uh, and I think what is inspiring is that people are interested in these stories and, and they want to know more and uh, have already seen that, so yeah. When you, when you look at the story of refugees around the world, one thing that seems consistent is being a refugee is already hard enough. Being a woman or a girl who's a refugee mm -hmm. exponentially increases how difficult that journey is. It's so much more precarious, it's, it's, it's a really dangerous position to be in as a young girl. What do you think some of the biggest misconceptions are about girls who are refugees or refugees in general around the world? I think uh, the first thing is that becoming a refugee is never their first choice. This is the last choice and this is often the, the only choice that they have, right. is to leave their homes for their safety, for their better future, because they have lost many things in their lives. And uh, you know, one of the stories that I have mentioned is of Annalisa from Guatemala who lost her parents. She became orphan at the age of 15 and had to cross the, the US border and go through so many difficulties. And you know, the fear and, 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 and this, 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 I, this sense that you go through where you feel like you're not safe and like somebody could kidnap you or somebody could put you in jail. Like all that you have to go through is, is not an easy thing when you're only 15 years old who have lost their parents. And so it just reminds us of the, of the courage that these people have, but also the fact that, you know, we need to look at it from a more uh, a human eye, from a human angle, and understand what would we be in a situation, um, how would we react in a, such a situation, what would we personally be uh, when, when we also face the same kind of conflicts right. or wars or uh, other things that force us to leave our homes. You, you recently spoke in Australia and you spoke out against their policy of turning away boats of refugees that had landed on their shores or had, been, had come close to their shores. If you were trying to convince somebody who was anti-immigrant or anti-refugee, have you found anything that you can say to them that shifts them or, or, or do you find 
a way that you can speak to people to try and help them see the humanity in this plight? Well, I've been trying it for a while, and uh, I think it is difficult to convince people. But I think um, for me, the best way to know about is I think oftentimes people do not know enough. They do not. They have not met a refugee person. They have not talked to a refugee girl and what she has gone through. So I think it's important for people to actually go and talk to people. That's the best way to integrate. And my father often says that you know if you want to know about a Muslim man or a Muslim person, do not know them through the news, but rather go and visit your next door neighbor who's a Muslim and talk to them. So I think talking to people is, is important, but also go and look for facts and figures of how immigrants and refugees have contributed to the global economies and how, you know, for instance, take the US, how refugees and immigrants have built this country to, at the level that it is right now. And also just uh, look at the human side of why people leave their homes. Right. And it is not that simple. It is never their first choice, and it is often uh, the difficulties that they face that, that push them out of their houses. And, uh, you know, for me personally, uh, when we were leaving Swat Valley, our hometown, that was because there was, it was not safe to stay there. Our lives were at risk. And uh, we did not know where we were going. We, we did not know for how long, but we knew that we could not stay there. There was no more choice uh, but, but to leave our homes. Right. The, one of the, the, the reasons to, to buy this book is because of the stories that are truly amazing and well-written. Another reason is because the proceeds go to an amazing cause, and that is um, to your foundation, which focuses on education. Why did you specifically choose that? Why, why is the Malala Fund specifically going after education of all the things that you could have done? Well, firstly, because I remember the time when my own education was banned by this extremist group called the Taliban. And, uh, and I remember waking up, um, I think, 10 years ago, exactly 10 years ago. It was the month of January 2009. And I woke up one morning, and girls' education was completely banned, and no girl was allowed to go to school. And I realized that my future was taken away from me. My dreams were taken away from me. I was just limited to the house. I could not go and learn. I could not go and study. I could not go and become a doctor or a teacher or an engineer. And for many girls, the only way towards empowerment is learning and is, is getting their education, doing a job, and then standing on their own two feet. So for me, it is, it, it's, education is, is crucial for every girl's empowerment. Uh, but also the fact that if half of the population of the world does not get education, if they are not empowered, then the, the world is losing. We all are losing. So uh, education is crucial for me, especially the education of women, because when we educate women, this allows us to grow economies. Educating all girls up to secondary level would add up to $30 trillion to the world economy. It helps us to tackle climate change. It helps us reduce poverty, fight against early child marriages, uh, the, the cultural norms and traditions that are out there that are discriminating women. It has so many advantages. and. Uh, uh, and I was one of the victims, and I was one of those girls, and I know that it is crucial for all girls to go and learn, and, uh, and also you know, the, the benefits that education brings to, to the world as well. And refugees' children's education is equally important, especially the young girls who oftentimes in the refugee camps, they are forced to get married. Uh, for instance, in Lebanon, like 41% of the Syrian refugee girls get married before the age of 18. So, that's why we started Malala Fund, and the work is focused on the education of girls, especially complete education, not just primary, but complete primary and secondary education, safe and quality education, to ensure that 
Um, and, and for that, we invest in local leaders and, and local uh, educators. Uh, and and uh, for instance, like in Lebanon, one of our uh, activists is, is going out and talking to the, the girl's parents right. and, and the local li religious leaders and, uh, and convincing them to send their daughters to school. Or one of our activists is using this digital device that works in the absence of electricity and internet to educate girls in the refugee camps. In Brazil, we have activists. In Pakistan and Afghanistan, we have activists who are reaching out and, and doing work at the local level. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.